Who's hungry for Jesus tonight? Anybody? Okay, good. Okay, just checking. Just checking I'm in the right place. Um, hey, we're going to get started. Life with Dave, the series that we're in. I love this series, talking about David, one of the greatest guys in the Bible, one of the heroes, all-time favorites. He gets the most uh, uh, airtime, the most mentions. He's an incredible guy. And we learned some really good things from him in the past few weeks. We learned about his, his uh, relationship with Abigail and, and kind of what went down with that one. If you guys remember last week, couple of attributes that David had that was really good was, if you guys remember, number one, he was confident in the valley. You guys remember that one? And then we also talked about how he was humble. He had humility on the mountaintop. So wherever life's got you, there's a way to react to it. And I love that. I love that all that we can learn from David, it made him such a ledgy ledge. He was a legend. He was the man. But today in the lesson we're going to learn about is what made him so cool to me that I like about him is that he was a real dude. He was normal. He wasn't just King David the Mighty. He was just a guy named Dave struggling through the ups and downs of life. And he had some victories we learned from, like last week. But tonight, there's some flaws that he had, some mistakes that he made that gives us a little bit of hope for ourselves. So we're going to drop into the story here tonight. And we've been just going through different um, times in David's life, different stories and tonight we're going to talk about two things and how to deal with them and how David dealt with them. And he didn't deal with them all so good, but there's a lesson in it for us. Here's the two big things we're talking about tonight. Fear and loneliness. Those are two huge forces at work in our life that can influence us to do good things sometimes, but most of the time we can do really bad things. And if we respond to them poorly, it can cause us years of regret and years of harm and years of pain. Fear and loneliness, two big things that we see David dealt with tonight, and they drive us. And again, if it's a wrong response to this stuff, man, it can cause us all kinds of harm. Here, let me give you an example. Um, fear, what that can do for you. I just went to the doctor, I think it was yesterday. Was it yesterday? Yesterday or the day before. I went to the doctor because um, I had this pain in my hip. I have this pain right here in my hip joint, the little, the ball joint or whatever. I don't know what it's called. Anybody know what that's called? No doctors in here. We all went to windward side schools. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, but I have this hip right here, this pain in my hip, in my whatever, this ball joint thing. And, and I've been dealing with it for a long time. And um, I went to the doctor and I told him, hey, I got this thing, it's sore, whatever, I don't know what it is. And he goes, okay, well, you know, you're getting older, you surfed a lot, whatever. It could be wearing something away. Maybe it's a small uh, tear in the muscle around the ball joint, or maybe it's like the, I don't know, it's all wearing out or whatever. It could be early arthritis, you're in your 40s, blah, 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 right? And I'm just like, okay, well, I got it checked out. And the doctor says this, how long have you been experiencing this pain? And I said, how long was that? About three years. <laughs> I've been dealing with this pain for three years, and I only now went to the doctor for it. Let me tell you the reason why. Because I'm scared of surgery. I'm scared of getting cut on and then being out of the water for like 10 weeks at a time because I'm recovering. And so my way of dealing with this fear of dealing with all this is Take a couple ibuprofens after you go surfing and you're all good, right? And you can still walk, you're good. And the reality is, there's a chance that because I let it go for three years, it could actually be something a lot worse because I could have let the tear stay there and it could be worn away. And, and there's a chance, because I just got a call from the doctor like as I was coming out of the bathroom there tonight and I couldn't call him back. They, they, were, they didn't leave me a message either to let, the, let me know the results of the x-ray. Um, 
I don't think it's anything too serious, but now I'm in a place of regret in knowing that the minute that I first started to feel the pain, if I wasn't so scared of surgery and being out of the water and the disruption to my life and is it going to hurt and the doctor's going to see me naked and the whole, like, come on, that's a real fear. Anybody? That's a real fear. Small island, we know each other. Like, that's a fear. So the fear of that, the fear of surgery, the fear of I'm not going to be able to go in the water and surf and dive and do all the things I like for who knows how long, all of this caused me to react wrongly, which is take ibuprofens and just shake it off. And now three years later, here we are. And, and I've been living with pain for three years. And I don't know how much damage I've done to myself. But here's my point is sometimes because of fear or loneliness, these are just two big things we're going to look at, Dave, tonight. Is we respond wrongly and we do things that sometimes we do it our way, not using wisdom, not using God's way. And we end up causing ourselves a world of hurt. We make things worse and we may do something that we regret. Does that make sense to anybody here tonight? Can you guys think of times in your life you're like, yeah, man, because of, of fear. Like, here's the type of fear we're talking about. Anybody in here ever fear disaster? Like something happening? Like your danger, right? You fear pain. So there's things you just don't want to put yourself in positions because you're like, no, that's scary. It might hurt me emotionally and physically or something. So we react to fear or losing control, looking bad. Sometimes fear leads to anxiety because we don't deal with those fears correctly. Here's the other one is loneliness. It's powerful. Loneliness. Why is loneliness such a big deal? Well, God created us for a relationship. He created us for community. And sometimes we experience loss of loved ones. Chris tonight said he lost Memorial Day, right? We're celebrating those that we have lost, that they've given their lives in service of this country. And so there's this loneliness that just hurts us. And maybe because we have conflict with someone and now we're kind of out on our own. We're not friends with them anymore. We're, maybe you, you suffered through a divorce or a separation or something and loneliness hurts. Maybe it's you've been betrayed or abandoned or you're just isolated and it can lead to depression. So we're talking about two big things tonight in the life of David is fear and loneliness. And this is what I want to say. If I could sum it up in one phrase, here's kind of the lesson for us tonight. Is that fear and loneliness are very strong, but God is stronger. Amen. That's just the simple lesson that we're going to talk about tonight in the life of David. So let's lean in here and let's, let's look at this story. Um, this story is going to be in 1 Samuel. We're going to start a little bit in chapter 20, but we're mostly going to be covering a lot of chapter 21 and a little bit of 22. But here's the story now. You guys knew from last week that at 15 years old, David killed Goliath. And he was, he was brought into a world of power and influence, and he gained wealth, and, and um, the favor of the Lord was upon him. Everything that he did, he did amazingly well. He was a great warrior, a great leader. He married the king's daughter, all of this good stuff. So this is about now seven years after that. David's around 22 years old. He's been in the good graces of Saul the king, and then also dealing with the jealousy of Saul the king, who's going, wait, who's this young guy that did all this stuff? I'm the king. I want everybody looking at me. I don't want anybody looking at this young David. So Saul has been, been having this relationship with David where he's like, David, come in and play the harp for me. I like you, but now I'm jealous of you, and I want to kill you. And he's throwing spears at him, and he's trying to kill him. So David's freaking out, and he's going through this. We're at this point now as we pick up the story that listen to this. This is the seventh time that scripture mentions that Saul is try, has tried to murder David or to have him killed in battle or himself to throw a spear at him and kill him. So David is full of fear. He's like, I'm on top of the world, but my very own king keeps on trying to kill me. Now his best friend Jonathan, the king's son, at this state of the scripture has been trying to protect David. 
Oh, no, dad, don't leave David alone. Like, he's cool. Like, don't, why would you do this? Why would you do this? And Saul is out of his mind. It says the spirit of the Lord departed from him. And he's like freaked out and he's angry and he's consumed by jealousy and hatred for David. And so listen to what he snaps at his own son for defending David. Now, excuse the language, but this, I didn't write this. This is the Bible talking. You guys are okay with that? Like, I don't know if there's kids in here, but listen to how Saul was so mad at his son, Jonathan, for defending David. He's after David. This is what it says for Samuel 20, verse 31. You ready for this, NLT version? This is like no pulling punches. Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan and said, you stupid son of a whore, he swore at them. Whoa, did they just say that in church? Samuel wrote this, not me, guys, relax. You stupid son of a, try to read the message version. It's even uglier, it's a little more, but he, he swears at him, he's so mad at his own son because he's out to kill David, how dare you defend him? Do you think that I don't know what you want him to be king in your place? Jonathan, you're my son, you're supposed to be king, and now they've anointed David to be king? What is up with that? He's mad, he's, he's furious. He says, don't you know that, that um, don't you think I know that you want him to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother? As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him. Why? So I can kill him. And David is freaked out, and David's running, and David's hiding. Now, I just want to put this in perspective. Don't you think he has a legitimate reason to be afraid at this point? Like this is, we're talking about fear, but I want you to understand, David has reason to fear. This is the seventh time the guy's trying to kill him. So David now, he's in this panic. However, he responds incorrectly, which is so weird because last week we were talking about David, confidence in the valley, and now seven years later, and the, the king is trying to kill him. He's not a giant, he's the king, but now David freaks out and he runs. So this is where we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse one, it says what happened to David. Um, David went down to the town of Nob to see Ahimelech, the priest, okay? He goes to the, the house of God, the man of God. Ahimelech trembled when he saw him because he said this to David, wait, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David was so scared that he actually was a commander of a thousand men, captain of the king's bodyguard. <clears throat> but when he found out Saul's trying to kill him for the seventh time, he freaks out and he runs and he's by himself. He probably had a couple servants with him, but he wasn't with his whole team. He was just running and he was afraid. So where does he run to? He runs to the house of God to see Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech is kind of freaked out because he goes, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? Someone of high, your high stature, you shouldn't be alone. Something's up. Something looks fishy. What's going on? This is what David said. The king has sent me on a private matter, David said. He told me not to tell anyone why I am here. I've told my men where to meet me later. You know what David just did? He lied. He, didn't, he went alone. He's, he didn't go on a secret mission for the king. He's running from his life from the king. And here's David now. He's running. He's fearful. And it leads him to compromise. This first point is that fear caused Dave to compromise. He says, um, now what is there to eat? Give me five loaves of bread or anything else that you have. The priest Ahimelech says, we don't have any regular bread, the priest replied. But there's the holy bread which you can have if the young men have not slept with any women recently. In other words, you can eat this, but this is for holy, consecrated people. It's really only for the priests to eat. This is the bread that we set out um, in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, to honor the Lord, to say thank you for the offerings he gives us. And we leave it out for a week, and then we bake a new, new batch before the Sabbath, and we change it. So this is holy bread that the priests only are supposed to eat. He goes, we don't have any regular bread, but we have this bread, this consecrated holy bread. And he says this, um, 
Don't worry, David replied, I never allow my, my men to be with women when we were on a campaign. In other words, you can't sleep with women and then eat the bread. It's that holy, like you have to be pure going into this thing. Then he says, and since they stay clean, even on ordinary trips, how much more on this one? The reality is he doesn't really have all, all of his men. He maybe has a couple servants with him. It says, it goes on and it says, since there was no other food available, the priest gave him the holy bread, the bread of the presence that was placed before the Lord in the tabernacle. It had just been replaced that day with fresh bread. Now, did the law say that David wasn't allowed to eat the bread? Well, yes. So was David breaking the law? Kind of. Now, here's the reason why that's a kind of thing, because you could say David wasn't allowed to eat the bread, and he ate the bread. The reality is that Jesus, uh, over a thousand years later, talks about this time and says, basically makes a statement that says, there are times when the needs of man are more important than the religious laws. So technically, David is hungry. He's on the run. He hasn't eaten. And it's okay for him to eat this bread. However, here's what's not okay is he lied about his mission. He lied about his men. He lied about the king sending him on a secret mission. He lied about the fact that I'm going to meet my, my men over here later. Is David was compromised because he was so afraid. And so this is what I like to see in this one, though this is interesting, is that he almost did what was right, but fear overcame his best intentions. This is interesting is that David was scared, running for his life. He runs, where does he run to? He runs to the house of God. He runs to the high priest. He runs to a place that should be a place where he can confess, he can be real, he's on the run, like help me, give me some, some advice, seek the Lord for me. This should be a place that is good for him. He has good intentions, but he blows it because his fear is so strong. It could be that maybe that's even some of us, right? Is that we come to church and we're like, man, I'm going through this. My life is a wreck. I, I need to go to God. And we show up to church, but maybe we're like David a little bit. We're so afraid. We don't actually listen to what's being preached right to our ears, the worship that's coming right to us, the prayers that are going. We have good intentions to go to God, but we just miss it because that fear that we're dealing with, the insecurity, whatever's on our, on our hearts at the moment, we miss out on doing the right thing. We come so close, but we miss it. And here's David, he just misses it. Fear causes David to lie about, about Saul, his mission, his men. This fear is strong. And I don't have to tell you guys that, that fear and insecurity and, and threats of danger or, or, or hurt or being broken or something, it's powerful in our lives. And so here's David and he deals with it wrong. And the question is for us is, that could apply to us is, in this case is, how has fear caused you to compromise in your faith? Or how has fear possibly caused you right now to consider compromising in some area um, of your faith because you're so threatened and you're scared right now? It could apply to a lot of us right now. Um, there's in, interesting this, I, I heard this um, story and I just looked it up just to confirm the story, but there was a guy a few years back, like 2006, he's a, he's a pastor, He's a singer and a songwriter, and he was having physical problems, losing his hair, losing sleep, and just having a hard time breathing. So he's having some real problems. Um, and he goes about telling everybody, and this happened in Australia, he goes about telling everybody around him that he has cancer. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, he says all the problems that are in his body and his life, he attributes to having cancer. So then, this is the interesting thing is, he goes on and he writes this amazing song. It's on a Hillsong album. It's called Healer. I believe you're my healer. He writes this, this big song. His name's Michael uh, Gugliamucci or something like that. Gugliamucci. It's really his name. Go Google him. 
googly moochie him. Um, <laughs> so he writes a song. It's an incredible song. It's blessing millions of people. And he's saying this. For two years, he's been struggling with cancer. The reality is what happens and what f- they find out after two years. I mean, he's, he's going to concerts, traveling with an oxygen tank and a nose thing in his mouth and everything. And God is the healer and I've got cancer, but I wrote this amazing song. It's blessing everybody. It's found out that the whole thing was a hoax. He never had cancer at all. He actually, here's, listen to what he was doing. Because again, remember I tell you this, fear causes you to compromise. What he was struggling with, it was manifesting in his life, these physical problems and freaking out was he had this 16-year hardcore addiction to pornography that the stress of it was actually manifesting in other areas in his life. And so in order to hide and not get caught in what he was really doing, he concocts this huge lie right, compromises his faith and his values and all this. I mean, he's, he's a pastor, he's a singer, he's a songwriter. And he goes and he does this crazy thing. And it blows up in his face and the regret and all of this stuff. It causes all this harm in his life. And it's years later and he's gotten counseling and the church is like working with him and helping him, you know. But here's the deal. He ruined so much of his life, compromised because of this fear of not getting caught. And here's David in this thing. And I'm wondering if we've ever compromised for the wrong reasons and and what it can lead to. But David was on the run and he lies. Now it says in the next verse, in verse seven, Doeg, the Edomite, Saul's chief herdsman, was also there that day, having been detained before the Lord. Remember that. We're gonna come back to this guy, Doeg, a little bit later in this story. He's a sneaky guy. He's over there. He's watching. He sees David lying. He sees David hanging out with Ahimelech, the priest, and he remembers this. So we'll carry on about him later. But then it says, David asked the priest, Ahimelech, do you have a spear or a sword? The king's business was so urgent that I didn't even have time to grab a weapon. He continues to lie about the king's business. He's not on the king's business. He goes, I I only have the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, the priest replied. It's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. Take that if you want it, for there is nothing else here. David said, there's nothing like it. Give it to me. Now here's what I want you to pick up in this point. David had just lied about all this other stuff, like I'm on the king's business and I've got men over here and this and that. Now here comes, I believe, God using Ahimelech, the high priest, to potentially give Dave a wake-up call, a wake-up call that would remind him that, listen, when he goes, here's the sword of Goliath, the one that you used to chop his own head off, here's what should have happened, that Dave has the aha moment, the humbling moment, the repentant moment that goes, oh my gosh, that takes me back to seven years ago when I relied on the power of the Lord, when I was really scared, but God, because of God in my life, he gave me confidence in that valley. Oh my gosh, that's the sword. I'm so sorry. That should have shocked him out of his, his lying, out of his compromising in fear, and it should have been the wake-up call. It should have been the potential opportunity to repent, to change his life, but it didn't. David ignored it. David missed it. This is heavy. I mean, where's the guy with the confidence in the valley? Where is that guy? Where's the guy that faced the giant? Where's that guy? And here's the priest going, well, here's this sword. And you know David's memory banks were going, I remember that day. Greatest day of my life. My God came through for me and I did that crazy thing. And David is so caught up in his fear that he misses the wake-up call. Have you ever done this? Have you ever been in those shoes? Maybe you're struggling with something. You're just bad attitude. You're talking bad about someone. You're just holding a grudge. You're being bitter. And someone comes along and goes, hey, maybe you ought to reconsider. Maybe you ought to think this way. They come along to change the perspective. 
and you're still so caught up in what you're, you're doing that you miss it. You miss that opportunity. Someone comes along and, and, and tries to confront you on, on the addictions that you're slipping into because you're afraid that you can't lean on anything else to make you feel that good. Uh, not even God, you gotta go after this because it makes you feel the way you do. And someone calls you on that. Hey man, you don't need that. And what do you do? You're at that point, like David. This is how Dave relates to us. Ah, I could snap out of it right now and believe this person or I could just go along with this thing. And this is what happens, unfortunately, to David is he allowed that fear to cancel the wake-up call. Here's a little lesson for us. Don't let that fear in your life cancel the wake-up call that God might be putting in your life right now. There may be someone around you, you know you're headed for something because you're, you're believing the lies and the fear and the insecurity and God's giving you a wake-up call. It could be this sermon here right now. It could be a friend in your life. It could be the verse that you read yesterday in your devotion and God's going, hello, here's your chance. Get rid of the fear, turn to me right now. But where are we at with this thing? Unfortunately, Dave lets the fear cancel that wake-up call. And he digs himself in deeper. Let's go to the next verses here in 1 Samuel 21, verse 10. We're talking now about loneliness. Fear is a crazy motivator and a not good one. And David blows it with, with fear. But loneliness now comes on the scene and it causes Dave to go to the wrong people. So it says, so David escaped from Saul and went to King Achish of Gath. But the officers of Achish were unhappy about his being there isn't this David, the king of the land, they asked? Isn't he the one that the people honor with dances, singing? Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands? David heard these comments and was very afraid of what King Achish of Gath might do to him. Now here's the interesting thing. He runs from the priest, the Himelech. He takes Goliath's sword, he takes the food. Now this is super weird. He runs out of the good graces of the people that he knows and that are godly people. And you know where he runs to? He runs to the town of Gath, which is the hometown of the giant that he killed. In, Philist in the Philistia, the Philistines, his enemy. What the heck is David doing? Why would he run to his enemies? What was he possibly thinking? That he's thinking, maybe if I go to these guys and tell them that, that I'm an enemy of Saul, then they'll think, well, we're enemies of Saul too. Come on in, we're gonna accept you. You're gonna be okay. Or maybe he's just thinking this, I'm alone, my own people. I'm afraid that they're gonna kill me because of the king. I'm scared. I don't know where to go. And here's what David, I, I believe, he's feeling right now. He's just looking for friends. He's just looking for community. He's on the run. He's all alone. He's scared. And here's the thing. The Bible talks about it all over, that God created us for community, that we crave other people to have our back, to walk through life with, to have help with. Here's the problem. Because of the fear, because of the extreme loneliness, he didn't turn to God or godly people. He turned to the wrong people. He went directly into the enemy camp, and he's hanging out over there. Well, soon enough, it catches up with him. They recognize him. Wait, we know you. Wait, you might, we might want to be friends with you, but wait, you're the guy that's killed thousands. You've killed thousands of our guys. Like, whoa, hold on a minute. This guy's dangerous. We better do something to him. And so this is an interesting fact right here that as he's abandoned, as he's lonely, he doesn't run to the people that can help him. He runs to the people that can actually hurt him. And here's the lesson in this for all of us is, don't go looking for love in all the wrong places. Right? You guys ever heard that song? It's a country song. I don't like to reference country music. I'm, I'm against the country music. It's not my deal. Sorry about that. But I just, I know that, right? Don't go looking for love in all the wrong places. Don't go looking for community with the wrong people. Because sometimes, guys, the draw of loneliness that God put in us, the, the, the craving of community and relationship that God put inside of us that's very good, Sometimes if we're not dealing with it right, we go running right to the wrong people 
the wrong influence, the wrong community. Are you guys hearing me on that? Is that David, unfortunately, he took this loneliness and he ran to the wrong people. Well, what am I talking about when I mean wrong people? Well, I, there's two types of people that I think right here that the Bible's probably talking about. Number one is you run right to people that are of bad influence in your life. It could be you've got, you've got something going on, uh, you're feeling lonely, and rather than uh, go to good people, you're just looking for people. And you end up with people maybe from your past, before you knew Jesus, and they are a bad influence on you. Hey, you're not feeling good, you're, you're lonely, come hang with us, and they're a bad influence. They give bad advice to you. Could be something like that, you just run to that wrong crowd. It could be that you're looking for, uh, you don't wanna wait because you're so lonely. You don't wanna wait for Mr. Right. So you settle for Mr. Right Now. Anybody? You guys ever heard of, I don't want to wait for Miss Right to come along, but Miss Right Now is right there, right now. So you're so lonely that I just, I just met someone the other day that just was telling me this, catching up with me, telling their life story, and, and they're, they're kind of all excited because they're on their third husband. And she's on her third, and I'm like, I, I want to be happy for you. I hope this one takes, you know, like, like I'm just... Uh, she just, she gives me her life story and she goes, I was with this guy and it was a lot of years, it was terrible and that one didn't work out. Then I went to this guy and you know, that kind of didn't work out but now, praise God, I got this one, it's good and I'm going, I, yes, I hope so. Like I wanna, I want it to be good for you but I just thought, wow, how many years of struggling and maybe the loneliness if you would have just held on for the right one. I mean, I just, I'm not there to judge and point it out in her life but too many times, we go running to the wrong people. And you guys know who those wrong people are in your life. Because you're lonely and you're feeling like I need community, you go to the wrong crowd. And it could be that, it could be the bad influence. It could be this, is that you run to people that are wrong for you because they don't really know you well enough to really help you. I've seen this in churches all of my life. And I've probably been this person before is you run into con some type of conflict with someone in a church usually because you might have done something wrong and someone's trying to hold you accountable because they love you. But you know what happens is you don't want to deal with that conflict. You don't want to face the accountability. So what you do is you go run into some other church or some other circle of Christian friends and your new friends and you're like, man, these people love me. They accept me. The problem is, the truth is, they just don't know you well enough to actually understand the stuff that you're dealing with, so they're not gonna hold you accountable, so they seem like they're the good friends. You guys get what I'm saying? Is Sometimes we run away from our problems, and instead of sticking it out with the people that God's put in our life that are good to work through the conflict, ah, oh, man, I don't like that. I'm on my own now. I don't like those guys, but I'm lonely. Where's some new people? And you go find a new group of friends, and you think that they're good for you, but they don't actually know you well enough like those other people did, and they're not gonna help your life, they're just gonna help you escape and run away. And so here's David, he's, instead of dealing with this, instead of going to godly people to help him out, instead of admitting himself to Ahimelech the priest, he goes off and he runs out to Gath. Now here's the interesting thing that the scripture um, doesn't really say, is that it's at this moment that David actually repents from his wrongdoing and he turns back to God. It doesn't say it in the text, but Psalm 56, which David wrote years later, refers to this time and he says, here's a psalm that comes from the time that I was taken in and captured by the Philistines in Gath, and the psalm is all about how he turned back to God, how he repented, how he went from fear 
to praising God because God was about to set him free. And it was this repentance that happened with Dave at this point. So the third point is that repentance caused Dave to be rescued. That Psalm 56, you can go and read it later, it talks about this exact moment when he turned back to God. Now here comes kind of like the, the, the yay part of the story. He was lying, he was running away, loneliness, wrong people, and now he turns it all around. Verse 13 says, this is interesting what Dave does. So he pretended to be insane, scratching on doors and drooling down his beard. Wait, what? Like, what's he doing? He's freaking out. No, here's what we know because of Psalm 56 saying this was the moment that he repented and turned back to God. You gotta believe putting those two together, those parts of his life, is that he turned back to God and he said, God, only you can save me. I've messed up, I've lied, I've gone to the wrong people, but I'm turning my heart back to you that this was actually part of God's plan to deliver him was to say, dude, pretend like you're crazy. They'll let you go, right? So David pretends to be insane. He's scratching on doors, doors and he's drooling into his beard. Finally, King Akish said to his men, must you bring me a madman? We already have enough of them around here. Why should I let someone like this be my guest? And basically they let him go. Now here's what I want you to catch in this. Is that sometimes when you repent, you gotta be willing to take the medicine of whatever it is that God, and that when you repent after you've gotten yourself into trouble, it can be a very humbling experience. But that's where God likes us in the humble experience. Why is this such a humbling experience? Number one, someone of David's uh, of reputation and stature and who he was over a thousand men and all of this, that he starts acting all crazy and freaked out. And here's the thing that really says that David was a humbled man. He drooled into his beard. Like the Bible doesn't need to say that, but there's a reason why, he's, why it says that. Is people in their culture and in this time period, for the men, for Jewish men, your beard was your symbol of your, your reputation. It was your symbol of your honor, your symbol of your manhood. And oftentimes when they would capture people and, and armies would come along and take captives, what they would do to humiliate their prisoners is they would just chop their beard off all scraggly and leave it just all messed up as a sign of shame and dishonor to you. So the fact that David is acting like a madman and frothing and foaming at the mouth and drooling into his beard was an incredibly humbling state. It's almost as if God's going, Dave, thanks for repenting. I'm gonna get you out of this, but I need you to taste a little bit of humble pie. I need you to realize who's in control and I'm gonna humble you a little bit. So start spitting. Like, <laughs> this, is gonna, this is gonna be a little bit of a humbling experience. And then it says this in Psalm 34, which is another psalm that David wrote later on. It says Psalm 34 refers to the exact moment when David is praising God for being insane and God delivering him from his captors. And it basically says this line in there that he's praising God for delivering him from all his fears. Man, that's, that's cool. And see, some of you guys are here tonight and that's just happened in your life recently. As you've come to the Lord, you've turned to him, You've repented from living that life that you were living before for yourself, giving into your fear and your loneliness, and you found God. You're at church and everything is new, and Jesus is here, and he's just delivered you from the fears that you once had into this place of praising, and this is a good thing. And here's where David is at, is that he's repented, he's turned it all around, and this gives us hope in this story, is that, listen, it's never too late to turn back to God. That's what I see right here. David blew it. He lied, he did all of this stuff. He went in with the wrong crowd. But the moment that he repents, God goes, I like that, I accept you. And I'm gonna turn that around and I'm gonna deliver you. It's never too late to turn back to God. 
Just be humble and do it because you might be someone in here tonight just like David. Could be that you're dealing with this right now. Maybe you've lied or you're lying right now about something. In some area, you've compromised your faith. In some area, maybe you currently are hanging out with the wrong bunch of people simply because you're looking for friends, but you're looking in the wrong places. Or it could be that you're right now considering compromising your faith or running in with the wrong crowd or the old crowd or something like that. And yet here's your moment. Here's a moment that maybe this is for you tonight that God would say, it's not too late to turn back to me. It's never too late to turn back to me. I mean, there's people that I talk to every week that are like, I barely made it in the door tonight. I'm surprised you guys let me in. If you only knew what my life is all about. I'm like, well, I don't know what your life is about, but God knows what your life is about. And it's never too late. He's happy that you're here tonight. So here's this this time that David, he's turned back to God. He runs off. God delivers him. He hides in a cave. He gains some followers. He becomes a good leader. And then he goes back to the land of Judah where Saul is actually at. He goes back, he faces it, he's got God on his side now, and he comes back. But here's the interesting thing. Bad decisions cause Dave to have bad consequences. So now we pick up the story, and this is what happens, is that guy Doeg that I mentioned in the the beginning part, the Edomite, Doeg goes and reports to King Saul, hey, David is back in town. David's over here. And this is what he tells Saul. Remember how I just mentioned him in that one little (laughs) sentence earlier? He goes back and he tells Saul, hey, I saw Ahimelech, the high priest, helping David. He gave him food, he gave him weapons, and he's conspiring against you with David. He sees this going on, then the priest didn't even know anything, but he frames the high priest, and he says, he's against you just like David is against you. So here's Saul out of his mind, he freaks out, he says this, okay, in that case, men, I want you to kill all of the high priests. Kill all of them, because they're all in cahoots against me, and I won't stand for it. Well, listen to this, though. Saul's men are so cool, they're godly men, that they wouldn't even do it for the king. No way, we're not gonna kill the priests. These are gods, but we're not gonna do it. So Saul goes, okay, Doeg, you're the little traitor, you're the sneaky guy, I want you to kill all these high priests. And this is what happens is, that day, Doeg slaughtered 85 priests and their families, the Bible says this, their children, their babies, their cattle, their goats, and all their livestock. 85 men of God, their entire families, their entire household, wiped out because the rage of Saul against David. One of Ahimelech's sons, the high priest, one escapes with his life, goes to David, and tells David what happens. Now, this is the heavy part of this story. 1 Samuel 22, 22, after he tells David all this, here's what David says. Now, I have caused the death of all your father's family. David relates this back to, because I lied, because I was afraid, because I ran off to the Philistines and all of this, it all comes back to me. Now here's a heavy consequence. This is a heavy lesson. This is a hard lesson in the life of Dave, but for us even to swallow this thing too, is that it was David's fault. And it showed the character of David that he owned it, and he goes, and this is because of me. This is my fault. And see, I want you to think on this. I think on this too is, Who could possibly get hurt? Who could potentially get hurt from your wrong response to fear or loneliness? This is a heavy lesson we're talking about here is like, if I make the wrong response to fear and loneliness, who could potentially get hurt in this thing? Well, let me tell you, it's probably those you love and those that love you. The people closest to you are often the ones that get hurt. I talk to guys with addictions all the time. It's like, I just can't deal with the world, the anxiety, everything. So I gotta turn to this substance over here. 
well, you, you handled the fear that you were experiencing wrong instead of going to God. You went here, and it's not just gonna affect you. It's gonna affect all the people in your world and your family around you. And this is pretty heavy. Listen, I've said and done things to people that I wish I would have never said and done. There's consequences, right? I've seen the hurt that I put on people. And on the other side, I've experienced what it feels like for people to say and to hurt me. And there's consequences. And there's stuff I wish I didn't even have to think of. And you guys know what I'm talking about too. This is a hard lesson. And David learns a hard way that there's, there's lessons. This is probably why Dave, one year later, when he meets Abigail and he's out to slaughter his, her husband and all of the innocent men with him, when Abigail says, hey, maybe you need to rethink this thing, I think it's why Dave is so quick to go, I better stop, I better calm down. I think I learned this lesson already, right? A year previous, he learned this lesson. I also think this, we talked about this in a couple weeks ago, David wanted to build a temple for the Lord and God said, your son's gonna build it, you're not allowed to build the temple for me. Why God? You've spilled too much blood. I would imagine that God's thinking of this time when 85 godly priests, his innocent men and their families and their kids and their livestock was all slaughtered, that God was going, it's probably because of that. You wanna build a temple full of my priests? Well, remember what happened because you lied and all the priests that I lost? It, consequences catch up with us. Now, if I ended the sermon here right now, you guys would walk out of here depressed and probably start crying because <laughs> it sounds so gnarly. But here is the good lesson. Can I just, I wanna end with hope. I wanna end with a good lesson. Is that we're learning from lessons in David's life. They're not all perfect and awesome and kingly and spiritual and confidence and humility. We're learning from lessons in, in Dave's life that we don't wanna repeat. That we can learn from the negative. And here's the good stuff. Even after all of this, God still liked Dave. You understand that? Is it in 1 Samuel when he was anointed king as a young man, 10 to 12 years old, he said, I want to pick a man after my own heart, and that's David. Then 1,100 years later in the book of Acts, when they're talking about David, it's like in Acts 6, and they're talking back to David and who he was, they're still calling him. Over 1,000 years later, David was a man after God's own heart. He'll go down in history and leave a legacy. He was a man after God's own heart. Was he perfect? No. Did he sin? Yep. Did he suffer some hard consequences? He absolutely did. But God still liked Dave. And that should give us hope that Dave always was quick to repent and to turn back to God even though he had blown it in incredible ways. You know why that speaks to us? It's because it means that God still likes you. That no matter what you do, when you can put yourself in these shoes and go, I've lied because of fear. I've run to the wrong people because of loneliness. I've compromised my faith. I've let God down. I've suffered consequences. Why would God even accept me? Here's the deal. God loved David even after all of that because David was quick to come back and go, but God, I still trust you. And there's hope for you and me here tonight. That in this hard lesson that we learn, there's hope that God says, I've got grace for you. I've got hope for you. And here's the second thing I learned is that God expects you and I to have grace and hope for other people that have blown it as well. There's people that come to this church that know you and they know the old you before Jesus in your life. And I hear sometimes you guys say stuff to me. I was, I was out surfing the other day and someone goes, so I heard, uh, and they dropped the name. So I heard so-and-so goes to your church now. I'm like, yeah, he does. Just baptized him last week. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, that guy's done some pretty crazy stuff, you know, just even in this past year. I'm all, yeah. 
but aren't you stoked he's coming to church now? Isn't it a good thing that he's found God? And the guy kind of went, no, yeah, it is, it is. See, here's the reality is, if God still likes Dave, and God still likes you even when you blow it, then we have to be the kind of people that can say, well, God, I still like him and her and her and him and anybody that's willing to come to God and to repent and to say, God, I'm turning away from all of this. It's never too late to turn back to God. And we need to be the kind of church and the kind of people that the same grace and hope that has been shown to us, that was shown to Dave, that we're able to show forgiveness and love and welcoming and hospitality and bringing them in and loving them and letting God clean up the mess that they are because he's doing it for us too. Amen? So this is the good stuff about all of this. In Psalm 56, later on, David, and it describes that exact moment when he, he let go of the fear and the loneliness, he turned back to God. Is it, let me paraphrase Psalm 56. Basically, David says this. Look, don't be afraid of anyone. God sees your hurt and pain. He's on your side, and he will rescue you. We said fear and loneliness are strong, but God is stronger. Let me end with this story. I was just thinking about this the other day. I've seen multiple times at the beach when I've been surfing or diving or cruising at the beach or whatever, I've seen lifeguards saving people. I've seen people that are caught in a rip current or whatever and they're freaking out and I've seen them get saved and lifeguards come out. And I have friends that are lifeguards and they say that this is actually a common thing is that when someone is drowning or they think they're drowning and they're tired and they're going under and all this and the lifeguard goes out there to get them, rather than let themselves be saved, they panic so much at the state that they're in that self-preservation and fear kicks in Rather than surrender and let themselves be saved, you know what they do? They start climbing all up on top of the lifeguard. They start, I've seen it before. I like watch, oh, hey, I got you, I got you. And they go to grab them. And the person's so freaked out that they just, they got to save themselves. So they're trying to climb up on his head so they can be above the water and get air. And I see him, don't fight me, don't fight me. And they're, they're pushing the guy and fighting him and all of this. And I've seen this happen time after time again. And here's the advice that I think we can learn from David tonight is, is simply this, is when you feel like you're drowning, in fear, insecurity, despair, loneliness, and all this, when you feel like you're drowning, listen, stop swimming and trust the lifeguard. Stop swimming and trust the lifeguard. Because to trust the lifeguard means you stop trying to do things your way, like David's way, and you relax. Because this is weird, the way that lifeguards save you in the water. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. They tell you just relax, put your head up, and they grab you like, around your neck and, and your, your body, and you're actually on your back and they start swimming you in. And that's the most unnatural position to be in when you're panicking and freaking out and you wanna save yourself and you wanna swim, you gotta actually just relax and let the lifeguard pull you in. And here's David. We learned from him tonight, it was a hard lesson. It's a hopeful lesson for us is that fear and loneliness are very strong, but our God is stronger. Amen. Is that a good word? Yeah. Let's bow our heads, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word tonight, different word different kind of scenario, different situation. Not all exciting and full of hope and joy, but Lord, it ends in hope and lots of grace. Is it, Lord, you still love David? Call him a man after your own heart. Lord, he's someone that learns a lot of hard lessons in life, but he always seems to bounce back and come back to you. Lord, he makes some mistakes and we all make some mistakes. But Lord, thank you for being the God that, that always accepts us, that doesn't judge us, that welcomes us back. We may have to fight through the consequences, Lord, but you're there on the other side and you're helping us walk through that. So Lord, tonight, Lord, it's kind of a sobering lesson, a sobering reality. Lord, we don't want to get ourselves into trouble. When we're faced with fear and faced with loneliness, they can be powerful. But Lord, help us do things your way. 
Help us trust the lifeguard. Help us to stop swimming, just relax, and trust you. You got this thing. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this tonight. Lord, help us to, to dwell on that, that we'd pray on that. You would speak to us. Show us situations in our life where we need to surrender back again to you. Thank you for always being there. Lord, help us to be a church that would show that kind of compassion and love and grace to those that are out there coming to know you, Lord. We love you. If there's anybody here tonight as we continue to pray that maybe you're in that situation where you've walked away, maybe you've been walking away from God your whole life, but you know that he's real, that he's got you, that he wants to turn it around. He wants to rescue you. He's got plans for your life. And if you're here tonight, you're saying, I want out, I want out of all this mess that I'm in and I want to know that God's got me and he can rescue me. If that's you here tonight, I'd love to lead you in a prayer. A prayer that would allow you to walk out of this room knowing that you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, someone that God has forgiven, someone that God is now going to begin to work in their life and, and make it something beautiful. If that's you, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. And this is how we're going to do it. I'm going to ask that everybody in the room right now, their eyes are closed and their heads are bowed and I'm gonna lead you in a prayer if you'd like to pray this prayer to just make Jesus the Lord of your life, to come to God and, and just to, as a word, repent means is just to turn around. You're walking one way for yourself, you turn right back around and you go towards God. And if that's you here tonight, I'm gonna ask you to say a prayer with me. I'll pray the words out loud. I'm just gonna ask you to pray them in your heart under your breath and God hears you and he's gonna honor that prayer. and He's gonna to begin to do things in your life. But if you'd like to pray that prayer with me before we pray, I'm gonna ask you one thing. And that's just to let me know that you want to pray this with me. That your life here, you're ready to take this ultimate step towards being a Christian and following God. I'm going to ask you to do that right now with everyone's eyes closed and heads bowed. Would you just let me know you want to pray this with me by raising your hand right now? Is there anybody here today? Good, I see that hand right there. I see you. I see you in the row right there. I see you, 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 you. I got that one or his one over there. Where else? Is there any other hands? Just, if I didn't see you, I just want to acknowledge you. I got you back there. Praise God. A lot of hands going up tonight. I see that one in the back. Amen, there's someone over here too. Awesome, two right there. Wow, praise God. This is a good moment right now. Good moment. Thank you, Jesus, this is good. Put your hands down right now and I want you to pray this prayer. I'll pray it out loud. You make this the prayer of your heart tonight. Here we go. God, I'm here tonight and I need you. I want you. Just pray this under your breath. Pray this in your heart to God. Lord, I want you. I need some help. I'm tired of living the life that I've been living for myself on my own. Lord, I wanna turn around and I wanna come your way your direction. Lord, I believe that you created me to have relationship with me and you want to bless me. You want to be my father and, and that I could be your child. But Lord, I have to give you the permission to do that. I have to surrender myself and doing things my own way and tell you that I'm going to trust you and put my faith in you and follow you. So Lord, I'm telling you right now from the bottom of my heart that I believe in your way to have relationship, which was by sending your son Jesus to die on a cross to pay the price for my sin and my separation all my issues, my baggage, my bondage, my guilt, all of that junk stuff, that he put that to death at the cross if I believe in him. Not only did he die, but he did what only the son of God could do is that he rose from the dead, defeated death on the third day, thereby defeating sin and shame and guilt and all of that wrongdoing in my life so that I can be a new creation in you. Lord, that I could be forgiven. That from here on out, Lord, I'm on your team. I'm in your family. You got me. You love me. You're not here to judge me. You're here to believe in me and to help me and to encourage me and show me how to be better. Lord, from here on out, I promise you that I'll listen to you first and you alone. Lord, as I get a Bible and start reading it, as I go to church to learn more about you and to, to be a part of the family of God, Lord, as I get water baptized as a way to tell the world that I'm dying to my old self and I'm being born again, a new creation, new in you, 
And Lord, as I receive all the power of your Holy Spirit, all the work that you want to do to fix my life, to clean it up, to make it something better than it is right now, Lord, I receive and I accept all of that. Thank you from this moment for being my God as I follow you all of my days until I see you face to face in heaven. Thank you for what you're going to do in my life. And in Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Amen. Can we praise God and just celebrate with those people right now?